Well, friends, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 4 this morning. We're in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. You can also follow along on the screens behind me. And I want to read for us this great encounter that Jesus has. And then I want to highlight today three lessons that we can take away from this encounter Jesus had with this Samaritan woman at this well. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or around noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He, He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They they marveled that He was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to Him. 
Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. I'm sorry, we're moving ahead of ourselves here now. We'll save that for next week. This story is so engaging, you just want to keep going. But what a great story here. Jesus' encounter and conversation with this Samaritan woman. There are some powerful lessons in this story. More, more so than we have time for to cover this morning. But today I want to focus on three Three lessons that we can draw from this powerful conversation between Jesus and this woman at the well. The, the first of the lessons that is very important for us to see here in this passage this morning is that Jesus confronts our prejudice. Jesus confronts our prejudice. Here, here in the opening verses of our passage this morning, we see clearly the missionary heart of God and his love for all people. Friends, do you believe that? God loves all people. If you recall, just two weeks ago, we saw that famous verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. And so what did he do about that? He sent his only son to be the means of salvation for all people. God is a missionary God. He has a heart for the lost all throughout the world. And here in our passage this morning, we see Jesus displaying the missionary heart of God for all people. We see this very clearly here in the beginning of our passage where John tells us that Jesus left Judea to head to Galilee. But in verse 4, in verse 4, we read these interesting words. John says, and he had to pass through Samaria. And he had to pass through Samaria. The word had there in the Greek is an interesting word. It, it speaks to a necessary and unavoidably determined purpose. Jesus had no choice. He had to pass through Samaria. Th- th- this wasn't an accident. This was God leading Jesus through Samaria. Now, now I want you to notice something here. We, we just saw back in John chapter 3... that that Jesus and his disciples, along with John the Baptist and his disciples, were engaged in baptizing people. Baptizing people for repentance and and the forgiveness of sin. And and, and we read in John 3.23 that these baptisms were taking place in a place called Salim, Anon near Salim. Now if you notice here on the map I've got on the screen, Anon near Salim is to the north of the area of Sychar, where Jacob's well was, where this conversation took place. Now, friends, remember, where did John say Jesus was headed? He was headed to Galilee. Where is Galilee? Galilee's in the other direction. If Jesus is headed to Galilee, if he's baptizing in Salim and Anon, as John tells us in chapter 3, why would he go to Samaria? which is south of that area. Well, John tells us he had to go to Samaria. He was under the the leading and guidance of God to go to Samaria. Jesus was on his way to Galilee, but he first went south into the region of Samaria under the guidance of God. This was no accident. Jesus was being led there because God had a plan and purpose in this diversion, a plan and purpose to take the message of Jesus, the hope of the gospel to all people, to the people of Samaria. If you remember all the way back in the Old Testament, God revealed his missionary heart for all people. 
God told Father Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God told Father Abraham that he was going to bless him and make him a great nation. And God told Father Abraham that through him and his lineage, all the peoples of the world, all the families of the world would be blessed. In other words, Abraham would, would be the ancestor of the one who would come as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And here in John chapter 4, we see Jesus initiating the fulfillment of that promise given thousands of years earlier, taking the hope of the gospel to Samaria. And friends, it's important that we recognize just how revolutionary Jesus' journey through Samaria was. If you were to ask a Jewish person in Jesus' day, who are some of the greatest enemies of God in the world today? If you were to ask a Jew 2,000 years ago, who are some of the greatest enemies of God in the world today? Friends, the people of Samaria would have certainly been on that list, if not right at the top of that list. There was tremendous animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was hatred, mutual hatred, between these two groups of people. Where, where did this animosity stem from? Well, if you recall in the stories of the Old Testament, in 722 B.C., God judged the northern kingdom of Israel for their sins. The kingdom of Israel had been split into the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judea, and in 722, because of the northern kingdom's sins, their idolatry, God sent the, Samarit uh, the Assyrian Empire to the northern kingdom of Israel and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and took all of their people away into slavery. And then the Assyrians brought foreign nations into the northern kingdom. They brought foreign peoples into the northern kingdom and these foreigners began to intermarry with the remaining Jews who were still there in that northern region of Israel. The, these Jews intermarried with these foreign people and they embraced their foreign gods. And so the Jews of, of Judea, the southern Jews who wouldn't go into exile until 150 years later at the hand of the Babylonian Empire, the Jews viewed the northern, the northern Jews, these Samaritans, as, as traitors, as half-breeds, as apostates who had embraced foreign gods. And, and on top of this, there were all kinds of other reasons for their animosity. The, the Samaritans only recognized the Pentateuch of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't embrace the rest of the Old Testament. And as a result of that, embracing only the Pentateuch, the, the Samaritans rejected Jerusalem as the holy city of God. They, they believed that Mount Gerizim in Samaria was to be the center of, of worship. And they had actually built a temple there on Mount Gerizim to rival the temple in Jerusalem. Because, again, they did not acknowledge the rest of the Old Testament. They only looked to the first five books. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Mount Gerizim was the place where God's people coming out of the Exodus, going back into the Promised Land, reestablished their covenant with God. And so from that time forward, the Samaritans believed that that was the site of proper worship. And, and so for all of these reasons, the, the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. They, they would kill one another. There were all kinds of atrocities that took place between these groups throughout history. But a Jew would very rarely, if ever, have any interaction with a Samaritan. But here, here in our passage this morning, 
John tells us Jesus had to go to Samaria. Jesus goes to Samaria, the, the heart of this half-breed, traitorous, uh, apostate territory. And, and here, Jesus, in this conversation with this Samaritan woman, ends up obliterating the prejudice and stereotypes of his day. He, he destroys the prejudice and stereotypes of his day, and instead he models for us God's heart for the other. God's heart for those people. And he points us to the ultimate source of unity that can only be found in him. I want you to notice in verse 10 of our passage this morning, Jesus in his conversation with this Samaritan woman says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That word gift there is is important for us to understand in terms of the context of how Jesus is, is destroying the prejudices of his day. The, the word gift there is, is doria in the Greek. And, and, and the gift, what is the gift? The gift in the context here at the end of verse 10 we discover is, is living water. Jesus is saying to this woman, if you knew the gift of God, if, if you knew the one who's asking you for water, you would have asked me and I would have given you this gift, this, this gift of living water. But, but what does that mean, living water? Well, it's interesting. This word gift is, is found only once in all the Gospels, right here. It's only used once. But throughout the New Testament, this word gift is repeatedly used in reference to the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but we also find Jesus a few chapters later in John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. Jesus specifically tells us that living water refers to to the Holy Spirit. And so the gift here that Jesus is talking about, the, the gift that he's offering this Samaritan woman, the gift of living water, is really the Holy Spirit who is the indwelling presence of God, the one who seals and secures our salvation. This is what he's offering to this Samaritan woman. This is the gift. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, speaks of the Holy Spirit. He, he says, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Friends, what is the proof of our salvation? What is the seal of our security in Christ? It's the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And so we need to understand what Jesus is saying here in our passage this morning. Jesus is extending the hope of salvation to somebody who the Jews saw as an enemy of God, an unclean and defiled Samaritan woman. Friends, understand this morning the hope of the gospel is for all people. This woman was, was one of the least likely people in the eyes of the Jews of Jesus' day to, to be extended the gift of God. And yet here is Jesus led by God. He had to go to Samaria. He had this mission to bring the hope of the gospel to all people. Why? Because God wanted to show us for all ages that his heart is a missionary heart for the world that God loves all people, and the good news is for all people. And as a result of that, friends, please understand this morning, prejudice and hatred and discrimination, these things should find no home 
among followers of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something this morning. Who are the Samaritans in our lives today? Who are the Samaritans in our lives? The Democrats? The Republicans? Homosexuals? Transgender individuals? Black people? Refugees? The poor people on the other side of town, the, 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 the bad part of town? Friends, do we see these people as enemies or as opportunities? Do, do we see them as problems or as people created in the very image of God? Do we choose to reject them or do we seek to reach out to them? And are we willing to go out of our way like Jesus for the sake of the good news, for the gospel? Jesus told his disciples in his final words to them before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1-8. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. That's the calling that God has given us as his church. To take the hope of the gospel, to, to embrace his missionary heart for all people, and to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the whole world. We live in a world today, friends, that's desperate for unity, longing for unity. But that unity, true unity between people can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who we were made to live in relationship with, the one who unites people of all races, of all backgrounds, of all socioeconomic statuses. It's only in Jesus that you find that unity. One of the things I'm really excited about in our particular denomination, the Evangelical Free Church, is, is the way that God is reaching across racial and economic and cultural backgrounds, bringing together the people of God in unity in Jesus Christ. In fact, just this last Sunday, we had a representative from our North Central District come here at Lakes Free and, and met with myself and our missions team, and they were sharing with us about all of the potentials and possibilities for partnerships here in the Twin Cities area between rural churches outside of the Twin Cities and, and churches, evangelical free churches in the Twin Cities pastored by African-American pastors with, with predominantly African and, and Hispanic congregations. And, and these are brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus like we do. And they worship Jesus this morning just like we do. And, and they're longing for the church to become one and united and to love one another and serve with one another and be on mission together with one another. Friends, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of something like that. I want to be a part of a gospel movement that unites all people under the banner of the good news of Jesus Christ to show the world that there is a greater source of hope. Jesus confronts our prejudices. And friends, what a beautiful thing that is. Because when we see the vision of John in the book of Revelation about the, our eternal home in heaven, John tells us in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, that one day we are going to worship God together with people from all tribes, all tongues, all backgrounds, praising the name of Jesus forever. 
Friends, if you're somebody who struggles with prejudice today, I want to encourage you, confess that to the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to to soften your heart and give you a love for, for the other, for those people. Because some of those people are going to be your brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. Let's pray for that, friends. Let's pray that here at Lakes Free we could show the world the the way to unity that's found in Jesus Christ. The the second lesson that we see here in this great story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria, we find how Jesus quenches our thirst. Jesus quenches our thirst. Let, Let me ask you this morning, what would it take for you to be truly satisfied in life? What, what, what would it take to be truly satisfied? A, a better job, a larger paycheck, maybe a nicer house or, or a new car, maybe a, a, a better marriage, a better relationship. What would it take to be truly satisfied? Here in verses 11 through 18 of our passage, Jesus continues his conversation with this Samaritan woman by addressing a longing common to all of us, the the human quest for joy. Friends, you know throughout history and around the world, every single individual has a longing for joy. Every single person in this world is is on a quest for joy. I'm not talking about happiness This isn't happiness. Happiness is temporary and it's circumstantial. It's based on our current experience. This isn't about happiness. We want happiness, but ultimately what we all truly want is joy. And joy is about an attitude of contentment. Joy is is about a heart's attitude of gratitude. It's about a satisfaction that's rooted in the very core of our souls. That's what joy is. In verses 13 through 14, Jesus reveals to the Samaritan woman the source of joy. He, He says to her here at the base of this well that she's come to gather water from, he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus tells us, woman, that true joy is found in in the living water, the living water that he provides. Again, that intimate relationship with God through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's where true joy is found. But as we see in our passage, like Nicodemus, a chapter earlier in chapter 3, remember Jesus told Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus thought, what are you talking about, right? He he couldn't even comprehend what does that mean to be born again. Well, in the same way we see this Samaritan woman, she doesn't understand. Living water, Jesus, where are you going to get this living water? I mean, Jacob dug this well for us. You you have better water than our father Jacob. She she thinks he's talking about physical water, when in reality, Jesus was talking about spiritual truths. Jesus was talking about spiritual truths. In verses 16 through 18, Jesus cuts to the heart of this woman's thirst. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands And the one you now have is not your husband. 
what you have said is true. Now, it's very interesting here when we think about this woman's background. We, we're not quite sure what was going on in her life. Commentators have different opinions about what was going on here. Some, some view this as a picture of, of an adulterous woman, a woman who was caught up in perpetual immorality, and, and so she was just going from one husband to the next in her lustful pursuits and in her immoral lifestyle. Other people look at this story in a cultural perspective, and they they think women in this day had no marital rights, really. And, And so for a woman to be divorced, that would always have been initiated by her husband. And so this is a woman who who really had been abused and and broken time and time again by men who had left her. And other people look and recognize the reality of the present sin she's caught up in, living with a man currently who's not her husband. Regardless of what had taken place in all of those past relationships, she was now living in a sinful relationship. Living with someone you're not married to, the Bible calls fornication. It's sin, it's rebellion against God's holy will for our lives. And so here is this woman who, who's gone through this experience of relationship after relationship after relationship. And yet Jesus cuts to the heart of her circumstances and, and points out to her that, that all of these relationships had never truly brought her joy. And, and you can imagine this woman as she's in the midst of this conversation with Jesus, her heart being tugged and, and pulled and drawn by the words Jesus is confronting her with. Joy had eluded her her whole life, relationship after relationship after relationship. Friends, you know something? All of us go through life with an empty bucket we're seeking to fill. It's a spiritual bucket. It's a spiritual bucket that we carry in our hearts. And it's a bucket that we're born with. It's a, it's a bucket that we're born with and it's empty and we long for this bucket to be filled to bring us wholeness and satisfaction and joy. But the Bible tells us this bucket can only be filled by one thing that truly satisfies. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. And what does that mean? It means that God has given each of us an innate desire and longing to know him and to have a relationship with him and to fill the buckets of our hearts with him and him alone. Only he can fill. Only he can satisfy. And here in our passage, this woman, in verses 16 through 18, we see a woman who had attempted to fill her bucket with a source of joy that could never satisfy she had repeatedly gone to the well of relationships and, and men and, and marriage looking for hope, looking for satisfaction, looking for fulfillment, and yet here she was still longing and, and thirsting and looking for joy. Her story reminds me of what God said to the Israelites in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. All the way back in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, God says to him, "'My people have committed two evils.'" They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Remember, we talked about cisterns a couple weeks ago. 
a cistern was a big hole that they would dig in the rock. And when the rain would fall and the rainwater would run into the cistern, that cistern would be used as a well, a source of water where people could go and, and they could dip into the cistern and collect water to drink and to cook and to clean. But God says, my people have forsaken me. Here I am offering living water, and yet my people repeatedly are going to cisterns, broken cisterns, cisterns that are cracked and dry and barren. They hold no water. The, the, the stuff of this world that you're going to, the idols of this world that you're dipping into, looking for that satisfaction, that joy, they can't satisfy. The well is dry, Jesus is saying. And here, Jesus confronts this woman's thirst and her pursuit of relationships as the source of her satisfaction. Friends, let me ask you this morning, what, what well are you going to looking for joy and fulfillment in your life? What, what well do you continue to run to looking to quench your thirst? Is it the, the, the well of, of love and relationships. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's your job, a career, growing that, that bank account. Maybe it's the, the well of politics. There's all kinds of wells that we turn to in the world looking for, for fulfillment, fitness, shopping, more stuff, education. I mean, all kinds of wells. But God says the wells of this world will never truly satisfy. They always leave us disappointed. See, here's the thing. All of those pursuits that I just mentioned, none of them are bad in and of themselves. But when we look to them as the source of our ultimate joy, we'll find that they cannot truly satisfy. Some of you may remember that that classic movie from the mid-90s, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire in 1996. Do you remember the, the classic line that Jerry Maguire said, the, the, the key line in that whole movie he said to the, to the woman he was pursuing? Jerry Maguire says, you complete me. You complete me. You know, I'll tell you something. I was, I was 20-something years old in college when that movie came out. I can't stand Jerry Maguire. You know how many relationships that guy ruined for me? It's hard to be a young single guy in college looking for love when, when all the girls you're dating have this vision of Tom Cruise. You complete me. You, you just can't live up to that. You know what I'm saying? But friends, a lot of people look to relationships. They, they look to marriage. They, they have this vision that, that if you're in just the, if you find the right person, that, that you'll be complete. They'll fulfill you. And, and I'm going to tell you something, friends. Relationships are a great thing. God created marriage. It's a beautiful thing. He gave it to us for companionship and for fellowship and mutual growth and encouragement. But I'm going to tell you, if you're looking to relationships or marriage as your ultimate source of satisfaction and joy in life, if you're looking to your spouse to complete you, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Because there is no human relationship in this world that can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. Only Jesus can fill that bucket. 
And so in contrast to the empty promises of the world and the wells that don't satisfy, Jesus offers us living water. Jesus offers us a spring of life that will well up within us up to eternal life, a, a well that springs up within us and overflows out from us, a well that perpetually satisfies and brings true joy in this life. You ever met somebody who had the spring of life welling up from within them? You ever met a full-of-God person? If you have, you'd know it because you bump into that person and they just splash all over you. God just overflows from their life. I mentioned my friend Jason Brown who passed away on Friday morning. Jason Brown was one of these full-of-God kind of people. If you ever had the privilege of meeting Jason you would have gotten splashed all over in your first conversation because the love of Jesus just overflowed from him. He, he lived his life with eternity's priorities in view. Two weeks ago, he was here at church for the last time, and after the service, Pastor Ken and I were talking to him right there in the back of the sanctuary, asking him how we could pray for him, anything we can do for you, Jason. It was clear that his battle with cancer was a losing one. And Jason said, I kid you not, he said, I just want everybody to know how much Jesus loves them. I, I just want my family and my friends, uh, whatever time God has left for me in this world, I just want to tell people how much Jesus loves them. This was a man who had discovered the well of living water. Let me ask you this morning, friends, who in your life needs to hear about the gift of living water that Jesus offers? Have you shared that living water with them? You know, I bet all of us can think of a few people. What if they're just waiting to find that one thing that will truly quench their thirst? Or maybe it's you this morning. Maybe you're the one who needs to return to the well of living water. Maybe you've put Jesus off to the side for a time and season in your life and, and you've been going to all kinds of other wells looking for joy and satisfaction. But you keep coming away empty and thirsty. Maybe it's time for you to, to turn your bucket over to Jesus and say, Jesus, fill me, quench my thirst. Let me experience true joy and satisfaction in you. And friends, Jesus will do that for you because he offers us living water. The, the last point in our passage, the last lesson in our passage is we see Jesus here with the Samaritan woman. He, he corrects our confusion. It's interesting in verses 19 through 20, this, this woman probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable with the direction of the conversation. Jesus confronting her pursuit of endless relationships, looking for satisfaction. In verses 19 through 20, this woman attempts to change the subject. And so she ends up bringing up this age-old debate between the Jews and Samaritans. Where are God's people supposed to truly worship? Do, do we worship here on Mount Gerizim like, like our fathers have taught us? Or like you Jews say, do we worship in Jerusalem? And Jesus... Here he is offering this woman living water, but she is still stuck thinking in terms of religion and ritual. Where is true worship located? How do we worship God correctly? You know, friends, this woman's experience is similar to people throughout history, similar to millions of people in our world today who seek out peace with God, but sadly they do that in the pursuit of religion. 
And religion can never truly satisfy. This is why Jesus points this woman in verses 21 and 24 to, to the heart of true worship. Jesus says, but, but the hour is coming, verse 23, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does this mean, to worship God in spirit and truth? What, what does God truly want from people? He, he desires our worship to be done in spirit and truth. And, and what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about spirit, he's talking about our heart's attitude. Do, do we have a humble and submissive heart before God? Have we taken ourselves off the throne of our lives and put him on the throne of our life? Are, are we humbled before him? That's what Jesus means when true worshipers will worship in spirit. It's about our heart's attitude. And truth, truth refers to our embrace of God's revelation. Do we worship God correctly in line with his revelation to us? Do we embrace his teaching in scripture? Do we embrace his son, the Messiah, who he sent as the one and only savior of the world? That's the truth Jesus is talking about. This is the kind of worship God desires, a worship that's humble and submissive to God, a worship that embraces his revelation and accepts his revelation and acknowledges that salvation is only found in his son, Jesus Christ. Most of our world today still lives in bondage to this very same confusion that plagued the Samaritan woman in our passage this morning. Most of the world seeks God through religion. And what is religion? Well, religion is about what we do to earn favor with God through our good works, through our rituals, through our sacrifices, through our money. Religion is all about what we do, our human attempts to earn favor with God. And this is what the Samaritan woman was banking on. You know, if I have just the proper location of worship, if I just knew exactly where I was supposed to worship, everything would be okay. She was seeking to earn God's favor through a location, and she was missing out on the living water that God was offering to her. It's very interesting. Just this week, I got a letter in the mail from a woman named Carol. I don't know Carol. Turns out Carol's a Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that if they prove their worthiness to Jehovah God, that one day they will live in paradise on earth. And so the average Jehovah's Witness will spend eight hours a week going door-to-door -door witnessing in order to prove their worthiness to Jehovah. It's a religion of human works, human effort to earn favor with God. But see, the Jehovah's Witnesses have a problem right now because COVID-19 has kept people from being willing to open their doors to random strangers. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses now are undertaking a huge letter-writing campaign all across America, sending letters to random neighbors, inviting them to consider the truths of the Jehovah's Witnesses. I bet you Carol has written dozens, if not hundreds, of these letters over the last few months. Why? Because she's caught up in the same confusion as the Samaritan woman thinking that a right relationship with God is about earning favor with God through our works, through our efforts, through our personal righteousness. But friends, being in fellowship with God is not about a place. It's not about a pursuit. It's not about a purchase. It's not about a position. 
It's about a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the living water. Friends, I want you to notice how our passage ends this morning in verse 28. After this extensive conversation, after offering living water, after clarifying her confusion about what God truly desires, the not, not, not religion, but to worship in spirit and in truth, after highlighting himself as the Messiah, the Savior, the one who has come to bring this living water, look at how our passage ends in verse 28. John tells us, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You know, I find it interesting that John tells us she left her water jar behind. I, I don't think, friends, that this was an accidental observation by John. Why did John tell us this? I think she left her water jar. She left her bucket because she was now going away full. She was going away full. She had discovered the source of true joy. How about you this morning, friends? Are you full today? Have you drunk from the well of living water? If you haven't, you can. Jesus offers it to each of us a well of living water that will spring up within us and overflow to eternity. It's the offer of true joy, true satisfaction, true hope, found only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this powerful passage this morning. We thank you for the hope that we find in it, the offer of new life, eternal life, a a source of living water that will well up within us, the gift of the Holy Spirit that you give us when we put our hope and trust in you for our salvation, The, the promise that we don't have to strive and search and seek and prove anything to you, but that you have come into this world and through the gift of your son Jesus, offer us a source of true joy. God, I pray that each of us here this morning would drink deeply from that well that we would drink deeply from the one and only source of, of life and wholeness and fullness and joy that is Jesus Christ. If there's anybody watching at home this morning who is thirsting for joy, who is thirsting for satisfaction, I pray that even they right now would turn to you to quench that thirst, that they would confess the sin of pursuing all kinds of wells, all kinds of idols in this world looking for joy and and that they would repent of that and instead would turn to you, Lord, and say, Jesus, I'm still thirsty. Will you come and fill me? Will you forgive me of all my sins? Will you forgive me of all my rebellious pursuits? Will you come and fill me with that river of living water that wells up into eternal life so that I too can know this joy? Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace, for your goodness to us. May we always drink deeply from your well. In your great name we pray, amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. And I'll just remind you as we leave this morning, our ushers will exit, will dismiss you row by row. I want to leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.
Drink deeply from that well and have a blessed week. Amen. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.